0: Please listen as Mike Sloan, our assistant pastor, brings the message that God has for us on this Lord's Day. Please uh, join me by turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. We will begin our uh, sermon text reading from verse 1. The very beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he begins by Speaking of the risen Christ, that he is Lord over all and glorying in that truth and that he is an apostle of that risen Lord uh, sent to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And then he begins to talk about the glory of that gospel that is for Jew and Gentile, for all nations, and that it's expanding. And he applies that reality, the reality of the risen Christ to our lives in the church. As he gets into the teaching of how we should live in response to the gospel beginning in chapter 12 that that Dan read, he begins to apply who this person is, as the risen Lord, to every aspect of our lives. And as we'll see here in Romans 14, it even has implications for disagreements in the church and potential divisions in this church in Rome, a specific situation that we'll talk about and that has implications for us as well to even in our disagreements, to reflect the glory of Christ and to testify to his lordship. So let's read Romans 14. We'll begin with verse one. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we are your sheep. And we ask that you would now feed us from this word In Christ's name. So apparently the situation in Rome, and I guess Paul would say to us, any church, including our church here, uh, can fall into the trap of letting disagreements or differences that we have in our, in our thinking and in our practice, having we have a tendency and we can let those lead into a situation where we separate, where we divide, where we have tension and friction among us, where we are tempted to either despise and look down on one another or or flat out condemn one another. And so Paul says here, Christ is Lord. He rules over all. Remember his place and remember your own proper place. And you need to repent of these attitudes that you are using to basically go to battle against one another. So the main command that Paul has to set before us today, and again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is look in verse 1, the main thing he's getting at is the command to welcome one another. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So the main thing is to welcome. And the word welcome, it doesn't just mean simply greeting one another. It means to accept one another into your homes, accept one another into your uh, social circles, into your fellowship as believers. That's the type of welcome that Paul is talking about. So apparently there was a specific situation that Paul is dealing with. Now, Paul had never been to the church in Rome, but he's heard about this situation. Uh, In in the Roman world, travel was was quite easy compared to what we might think. And so Paul was aware of the situation. So what was the situation? and what 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 were the divisions and what were the disagreements and the problems that were being encountered in this church? So who were these two groups, the strong and the weak that he that he names? Well, the weak, first of all, it's important to note, as he says, the one who is weak in faith, in verse 1, it's not some sort of lesser Christian or subpar Christian that he's talking about. What he's talking about is someone who feels more restrained in what their faith allows them to do. So they have a sensitive conscience. They don't believe that their faith allows them to, the freedom to do certain things that this other group felt, hey, we're, we're free to do those. The Lord doesn't give us a command about those. So they were convinced that to, in order to practice their faith properly, to live out their faith, they must do so in this way. And they, were, they were bound by their own conscience to follow that. Now, they were not saying all believers must do it this way to be saved. Otherwise, Paul would have come out a lot stronger against them. Paul's very gentle in how he deals with them. Paul clearly identifies himself with the strong camp. Look in verse 1 of chapter 15. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Do you see his very pastoral, gentle tone that he takes with these weaker brothers? So it's not a situation like in the letter to the Galatians, where they're embracing a different gospel, saying you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. You have to add something to Christ. Well, Paul unequivocally says, if you're preaching that gospel, that's a different gospel. And anyone who teaches you that, let them be accursed. So that's not Paul's tone here at all. He's very gentle. They're not saying you have to practice this way in order to be a Christian at all. They're saying, we believe to be faithful, we have to follow these rules to live out our faith uh, properly. Now, it's important also to note, look in verse 1 of 14, that these opinions. Now, often we might hear that word and say, well, that just means something trivial or something along the lines of a personal preference. That's not really what... It's being talked about. It's not talking about personal preferences. These are not just trivial matters of what type of cereal you, you like, something like that. It's, it's a serious issue of how the Christian faith is to be lived out to bring uh, glory to God. So let's let's give an example of what this looked like. Now, it's more it's likely that they were meeting to worship in in their homes. So as they met to worship, uh, these different groups, some again who as we read, thought, well, we're free to eat uh, anything. And others who said, well, to, to live on our faith properly, we can't eat uh, a certain types of meat. Uh, again, probably this related to uh, Jewish Christians who were in this minority who felt compelled to follow the uh, unclean and clean food regulations of the Old Testament. And because of what Paul says about Observing different days. Again, it's probably relating to a minority, these weaker brothers of Jewish background Christians who felt compelled to abstain from meat to be sure that to avoid any unclean, uh, eating any unclean thing, or to you know, observe certain days that they felt compelled to from the Old Testament. So, as they gathered together in one another's homes, what would happen is as they worshiped, they would often eat meals together. And so the Gentile majority would probably be setting out meat for them to eat. And there were some, again, some of these Christians, probably from a Jewish background, who some of them were being kind of pressured and forced to do something against their own conscience. And some were digging in and saying, no, we're not going to do that. And you see, of course, the friction that that would cause as they're in each other's homes eating together Uh, beginning to debate and quarrel about what was proper to do and how the Christian faith needed to be handled in this area. So do you see the the disruption and the tension that it would have caused in the church? Um, They couldn't avoid it. So what was happening? What was the result? The end result, look in verse 3, was that the, the majority group, the strong, were looking down on, and look what he says, let not the one who eats... The majority group despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So the strong, the majority group were just saying, you guys are too scrupulous. That, that's just not an issue anymore. Christ declared all foods clean. Don't you understand? Uh, and just ridiculing them for their for their belief. And the group that was digging in that says, no, we have to practice it this way to be faithful. They were saying, well, we're so faithful. You guys are not faithful. You guys are going to be condemned for what you're doing. So that's the that's the dynamic and the tension that's that's going on. So Paul's Paul's basic message is you guys got to stop it. You know, like a parent who walks into a room with a couple of siblings going at it. Paul says, stop. You have to repent of these attitudes and what you're doing, and how you're approaching, and how you're treating your brothers in the Lord. And then he gives three basic ways, and three basic reasons, why they need to repent of these attitudes, and how they're treating their brothers. The first one is that Jesus welcomes us into his family. Jesus welcomes us. The second is that Jesus is Lord. He's the one in charge. And the third one is that Jesus is expanding his kingdom. And he will judge. So those three things. We'll look at them in turn. The first is that Jesus welcomes us. Look at verse 3. After he says, what's going on? Well, you guys are, you guys are uh, condemning one another and you're despising one another. But this is not to be. He says, welcome one another in verse 1 because, he gets to the reason here at the end of verse 3, for God has welcomed God has welcomed you. And he goes straight to the heart of the gospel. At the very beginning, we have been saved by Christ. And he has welcomed us into his family. And he has brought us into his fellowship. That is why you are to welcome one another. And not let these disagreements get in the way. And that theme of Jew-Gentile unity runs throughout the whole book of Romans. In the very beginning, he says, Jew and Gentile, both, both big sinners, both condemned under God's law, both given to idolatry. Chapter three, then, both, both, no one seeks God, neither Jew nor Gentile. And then also in chapter three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Jew and Gentile. But then also, both Jew and Gentile, by faith, are justified by God and are adopted, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, have peace with God now, have been given the same spirit, and are being sanctified by God, both Jew and Gentile. Why all this emphasis, that phrase, is repeated throughout the whole book? It's because he wants both of them to see, Christ has welcomed both of you. So repent of these attitudes, so stop it. You must welcome your brothers and sisters. And it's the same exact word, the same word that he commands them, welcome one another, receive these brothers into your homes, receive them into your fellowship. It's the same word that he uses to describe the gospel. Christ has welcomed you. He has received you into his fellowship. So we're not simply called to tolerate one another's presence. We're not simply called to give a polite greeting when we're here at church. We're to receive one another into our fellowship and into our homes. And so we have to be careful. Never to underestimate our own ability to fall into these traps ourselves. Never underestimate is a good rule of thumb for any Christian. Your own ability to sin. And so at any church, and here too, we all have different backgrounds, don't we? Some of us don't even come from a Christian background at all. And some of us come from Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran, non-denominational backgrounds, any type. A background you can imagine, and we all have different ideas about how things should be done in this way or that way. We all have different views about how the best way—it's the best way to steward money—is this. The best way to, uh, you know, approach the Sabbath, whether we eat out or not, for example, or different political views, or views on what type of education is best—public or Christian or private school. Classical education, we all have different views upon that. Views about alcohol or work and family and how those are balanced. And anything you can imagine. Santa Claus or Harry Potter. So, I mean, raising kids adds a whole, uh, you know, a uh, a big pile of them as well. And there will always be these issues in the church. Because as believers, we're called to bring all thoughts, all words, all actions under the Lordship of Christ. So is there always going to be these struggles about how do we do it the best way among, you know, among our churches? That's always going to be an issue. So what are some implications of this first point, that we're to welcome one another? Uh, I, I'd say a, f- a few things. First of all, we're called, again, to welcome one another in the same way Christ welcomes us. So it's to be lavishly, without reservation, reflect upon Christ's, welcoming you and pray that God would grow us into a church that shows the exact same attitude, attitude toward each and every one here. That's one thing. Another would be to notice that it's natural to congregate with those where you share a lot of beliefs in common. Now, it's natural to do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to have close friends within our churches. That's important. But... To have cliques or lines of fellowship that are drawn along these types of issues, those must be resisted very strongly. We can't give ourselves to avoiding one another based on these types of issues. Thirdly, I would say there's a time to be silent. Look in verse 1. He says, Welcome one another, welcome him, this weaker brother, but not to quarrel about opinions. So, there's a, a time to be silent. So, be cautious when, especially, there's a known issue. Be cautious in how you speak. And as Presbyterians, I would have to say, we are often drawn to debate. And not simply debate, but winning debates. And that's something that a lot of us hold dear to our hearts. And we have to recognize that temptation. But God prescribes peace in these areas, not discord. And then finally, I just say, on Sunday mornings and, and other times of fellowship within our church, it's hard, isn't it? I'm just think about any family reunion to go to. There's people in your family that are difficult to get to know, to reach out to. And that's the case in any gathering of people. It's hard work. But don't give up pursuing one another. And remember that, you know, we weren't that lovable when Christ first came to us. So pursue one another. So that's the first reason. Christ has welcomed us. That's why we're to welcome one another. Secondly, Paul begins to speak strongly about the fact that Jesus is the ultimate Lord. Jesus is Lord over all. Now look in verse 4. He says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master, or Lord, it's the same word, that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So here we see a common temptation, that though Christ is the ultimate Lord over all, we have that temptation to be Lord over one another. And Paul's just saying simply, look, you're acting like you're in charge. You're acting like you're Lord, like you're Master. And and the you here is singular. He's wanting each and every one of us to have a little self-check and to examine ourselves in this type of situation. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying about these issues. I'm not saying, and I don't think, again, Paul is saying, discard your views about these issues. Discard all your views about non-essentials. He's saying they are important, but we have to remember that we answer to Jesus about them, not to one another. So it doesn't mean we should not have opinions about these issues, look at the end of verse 5. What does he say? He says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Christ is to be Lord in every single area of your life. Some of us need to be reminded of that, to keep working at that, to push further the implications of Christ's Lordship into our lives and to not withdraw from from trying to formulate opinions and pursuing Faithfulness in, in details. Uh, John Calvin said said this: There ought to be in Christians such a care for obedience that they do nothing except what they think, or rather, feel assured is pleasing to God. So this is not minimalism. This is not relativism. This is simply, uh, of course, that that is a temptation in our day. We have to bring that up almost. Almost every, every time we have a conversation about these things, because our culture is screaming at us, there's no truth, there's no, you know, you make up your own reality. And that's not at all what Paul's saying here. He's saying our theology matters, but you have to keep your pride in check, because this was a problem. It's a problem of the sinful human heart, isn't it? But it was especially a problem in Rome. Rome that had so much going for it, that was so prosperous. Look back uh, at chapter 12 and verse 3. And Dan read this whole chapter. These are more the general instructions that Paul leads with before he gets into the specifics of this division. Look what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And that, is, that was a temptation of the Roman church, to think of themselves higher, to have that pride seep in, and we have that same temptation. To then use, if you are in the majority group, and Paul says clearly, I'm in the majority, we're right. All foods are clean. That's the truth of the matter. But don't use your knowledge to feel superior, to act superior towards your brothers. And those of you who are in the minority, don't use your stand on this issue to feel superior in your faithfulness and to heap condemnation because when you do so you're acting like you're in charge you're saying I'm lord over your brothers and sisters and so paul reminds them christ is the only lord from verses 4 to 9 i mean he just says uses the word lord to refer to christ again and again and again i think eight times because he's reminding them remember who's the king remember who is the lord and he determines who is acceptable to him. Look at verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So the minority view who said we, should, we have to follow these special days, these festival days, because we have to honor the Lord. Well, Paul says, yes, you're doing it to honor the Lord. Great. The one who you know, eats, the one who is in the majority, who doesn't observe the day, who does eat the meat, they're doing it to do what? They're honoring the Lord because they're praying for their food and saying, Lord, you created this food. Good. Thank you for it. And they're giving praise to God. And both servants are acceptable to their master, to their Lord. And look at verse eight. He says, look, Christ, the Lord owns you and life or in death, you belong to him. Now, why do we belong to the Lord? He gets to that in verse nine. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ, and your life is not your own. So you belong, you've been bought with a price, and you belong not to me, and I don't belong to you. We both belong to Christ. So depending on what particular issue we're talking about, I think in our church we could be on either side of that issue, so we could be in the majority or the minority. So we have to be careful. Um, I can think of a couple of examples in in our own in our own life. Uh, I remember when we were first having children, and you get some of those books about you know advice for feeding schedules and different approaches. And I just remember the title of one of them. And I hope I'm not stepping on toes here. Um, I'll just say there, there's things in this book that are great that we have used, um, but there's there's a kind of a tone in the book that's a little arrogant. And so the the name of the book is called Growing Kids, God's Way. And a lot of the attitude of the book is just like the title. There's God's Way, and then there's not God's Way. So if you want to do it God's Way, listen to us. And it has incredibly detailed information about exactly how to do everything. Now, is that really God's prescribed way from the Bible? No, that's might fall into the category of wisdom or good advice. And of course, like I said, some of that was great advice, and we, we learned a lot from that book. Now, when I see something like that, I tend to ridicule that, that attitude. It's easy for me to take someone who takes, you know, stand like that and ridicule them. And that is a temptation. So that's an area where I'm on one side of that argument, where I, I'm tempted to, to just ridicule and write them off say, look, um, that's, that's, that's a little ridiculous. But there's, there's the other side of it, too. I remember uh, one time in seminary, we had some friends over to our house, and for some reason, the issue of uh, Santa Claus came up, and uh, we just they just started sharing a little about that and their family, and it was just the weirdest thing, because here I just came out and said, well, if you don't want to ruin your kids, you need to do it this way. And I was on the other side of it, heaping... Kind of judgment and condemning attitude on on others. So we have to be careful. Depending on the issue, we can be on either side. So just be aware of that. But Christ says, and Paul says to both, remember that Christ is Lord. So a couple of other implications I would would bring out from this point. Any any pet issue, let's just say a political view. Now, not not a view like abortion where I think the scriptures speak very plainly about the value of life. Thou shalt not murder. And that any human being, whatever stage, that is wrong. Now, I'm not talking about something like abortion, but a political view, let's just say. Um, let's watch our attitudes and how we speak to one another. Do you ever hear yourself saying something like, "Well," or having the attitude, well, well this is how Christians, all Christians, need to look at that. And if you don't look at it that way, I just don't see how you could be a Christian. Those are the types of attitudes that we need to be aware of, that we need to hold in check. So do you have convictions? Wonderful. Be fully convinced in your own mind, Paul would say. And you might say, but I'm right. I'm right. And I have to share this, don't I? Well, remember, there's a time to be silent. He says, welcome the Brother but not to quarrel about these opinions. There's a time to be silent. And even further down in the chapter, look at 14, verse 22. Paul, again, exhorts them here, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. So on these types of issues, again, not all issues, but on these types of issues, keep it between yourself and God. And we do have a liberty of conscience, not an absolute liberty to to autonomously uh, make up truth for ourselves. No, under the lordship of Christ, we answer to him directly on these types of things. And we don't need to lord uh, this uh, power over others to bring them in line and control them and bring them into our view. So the first reason that we need to welcome one another, is that Christ has welcomed us. The second was that Christ is Lord. And now the third, Christ is expanding his rule and that he will ultimately judge. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Do you remember when we had vacation Bible school, and the theme was the king is coming, and you remember the big uh, throne that we had up here? What did all of us all week who were here want to do every time you walked past it, at least me? I wanted to just slide right up into that throne, right? I mean, you can't resist. It's a big chair. It's Feels good to be up there on the throne, right? Well, Paul's again reminding them, you have this temptation to easily usurp God's unique position as the judge. He will judge all men in his own time. And remember the context of the letter. Turn to the very beginning of Romans in chapter 1. You remember what Paul says at the beginning. He begins with the resurrection of Christ and he, he talks about how, according to the Spirit of Holiness in verse four, uh, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you. So Paul's saying, Christ as Lord, now as the risen Lord, is expanding his kingdom. It's encompassing and overtaking all nations. And that's one of the chief purposes for his writing. He gets to that in the next chapter, in chapter 15. And he says, I'm going to come to you and I want your help as I go to Spain, as I go to the ends of the earth. I want you to help me proclaim the gospel. And he uses the same phrase in chapter in chapter 15 when he's talking about this. He says, uh, just listen, Uh He says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And he uses the same phrases in chapter one. So this is a main purpose to help them understand and get a glimpse of the reality of Christ's expanding kingdom, that it's overtaking you. And then look down at at verse, at verse 10. That's why he's saying, why are you judging your brother? Why are you despising your brother? You've both been overtaken by the kingdom of God and you're now brothers. So why are you letting these attitudes creep in? And every single knee will bow. And the the passage from Isaiah, from Isaiah 45 that he quotes, is filled with statements of God's absolute sovereignty, of his absolute rule. And the context of that part of Isaiah is, is speaking of the glory of God's salvation and the light of his salvation going to the ends of the earth. And Paul is saying, look, when you judge and despise and condemn your brother, you're missing what's really important and what's going on. He's saying, don't forget that Christ's kingdom is expanding, that it's overtaken you. So participate in that kingdom. Don't try to buy your your quarrels and your quibbles Build your own kingdom. I remember a story about a PCA pastor who had a brother, a literal brother, a biological brother, I should say, who was not a Christian for years and years and years. And the family prayed and prayed, and finally he became a believer. And then, as the pastor shared this, a little bit later, someone in his congregation came up and said, yeah, that's wonderful that he became a Christian But I hear he's going to that church over there. And, you know, they believe this about that. And, man, that's just, that's terrible. And I just remember the the pastor just saying he didn't, but he wanted to just shake the man and say, "Are, are you kidding me? I don't want my brother to go to hell. And you're worried. You're missing it. You're missing the advancing of God's kingdom. You're so caught up in passing judgment on other believers that you've forgotten to even participate and rejoice in the expansion of Christ's kingdom. So serve your brothers. Bear witness to the glory of this, of this risen Lord, who will call us all to account one day. Uh, and don't miss out on what's happening around you. And so a few more implications uh, For this point, uh, that Christ is is the ultimate judge and and his Kingdom's expanding. We are to live as those who will give an account to God, not as those who demand an account from one another. Again, on these areas. We're to live as a band of brothers, not uh, a bunch of bosses who want to be in each other's business about these issues, trying to order each other around, praying that God would advance his kingdom. And secondly, I would say, if you're the minority, especially if you're in the minority on an issue, and you've noticed that here in our church, let me just tell you, please feel no need to justify your position to the rest of us. And whether you're in the minority or the majority, just humbly remember that you will answer to God someday for that and continue to pursue truth and be fully convinced in your own mind. And I would say when you feel compelled to speak up, uh, either to promote your own view or defend it, just remember that it's at that moment that we are tempted most, I think, to slide up into that throne and to to judge our brothers. So just be aware of that. And you don't have to defend yourself. Because you stand faultless, even today, through faith in Christ, before His throne in the heavenly places you are forgiven and he accepts you he has welcomed you so you don't have to you don't have to defend yourself and then finally churches are not to be built around these types of issues why why didn't paul just say well let's just not bother with this let's just okay you guys who are in the minority just start your own church and we'll just we'll just sort of keep the peace in that way paul doesn't even for a second entertain that option So no crusades to to leave and plant a pure church over these issues. It's just not something the scriptures uh, allow us to do. So it comes down to this in the end. And something we talk a lot about in our house. Why did God give you a brother? Why did God give you a sister? Like two kids called to account when their parent walks back into the room. Now these attitudes of pride and quarreling That's not why God gave us one another. Now, we don't choose our families, do we? But remember this. We didn't choose our own family here either. But Christ chose this family. And because of the reality of His uh, reign, His risen uh, status as Lord, our attitudes in, in any area like these areas of disagreement, our attitude must be, There is nothing you can do that would upset me. There is nothing you can do that would make me stop loving you, pursuing fellowship with you, serving you. There is nothing you can do. As we welcome each other, we enjoy the fellowship of our risen Lord together. Now, when you joined this church, you took a vow to study the peace of the church. And I see you living this out, and I would just say, continue. Because when you do, you praise Christ. And we witness to the world that Christ is our Savior who has welcomed us into his family. Christ is our Lord who reigns over all. And he's expanding his kingdom. And one day he will come again to judge each one of us. And we will give an account to him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask your forgiveness for our attitudes uh, on issues that really do not have a great deal of consequence um, in the grand scheme of things. We know that each uh, moment of our lives is to be lived out for your glory, and we are to pursue that passionately. But help us to remember as we do that, to remember who's on the throne, and to keep our own pride in check. Father, by your Spirit, We ask that you would help us to do that with our attitudes. Father, humble us and cause us to be completely uh, rejoicing in what you have done for us. That we would be passionate about the things that you are passionate about. That we would be gentle and kind with one another. That we would not uh, give in to the temptation to let uh, division enter into your church. We ask it in your name. Amen.